What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zang. And we are coming at you on Thanksgiving week, our sole episode this week, Pat. We've got a lot to talk about today. We surely will pack all the content we can into this one episode. We will spend the majority of time today talking about Villanova's two-point loss to Michigan State on the road, 73-71 to 71 on Friday night. What a big week it is in college basketball as a whole. Feast week, uh, as they call it. So many good matchups, so many awesome tournaments that are going to take place across um, this wonderful sport that we love so much this weekend. You know, it really kind of got kicked off a little bit on Friday night with Villanova-Michigan State, a, a big-time matchup and a game that, you know, lived up to the billing as well as obviously a two-point game and Nova had a chance to win it at the end. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch it live, unfortunately, but I watched it the day after, and I can't even imagine. It was probably good that I didn't watch it live because I was reacting the way I was knowing that Villanova ended up losing. That run they put on at the end was incredible. I think you and I agreed on Thursday's episode when we were previewing the matchup that if Villanova lost by single digits, if they kept it to within a single-digit loss, we could walk away relatively proud of the effort. And I think you walk away with a lot of positives from this game, despite it looking pretty ugly at times, especially at the beginning. You'll see how this point kind of forms over the the episode here, but I'm not sure I'm really going out on a limb when I say that I feel better about them losing this game than I have felt about them in any of the three games they played previously before yeah. the, this trip to, to Michigan State. I saw some building blocks in this. I saw some steps forward that really we hadn't seen as much as we would have liked uh, through the first couple of games. Now there are absolutely negatives and things that uh, we will talk about here, but I really did not leave that game Friday night in frustration. Uh, if anything, I felt a little more hopeful and a heck of a lot more hopeful than I did when I left the pavilion on Monday night after the Delaware state game. A hundred percent. And when we talk about Iowa state, one of my biggest points for the upcoming film night invitational is Iowa state hasn't been tested yet. Villanova oh, had been tested. That's an understatement that Iowa right. State hasn't been tested yet. Just absolutely nobody. Villanova, unfortunately, has played a lot of lower tier teams and has been tested. So that's the opposite of what you want. To go to Michigan State, one of the premier programs in the country, a team that's already over-exceeding expectation, that beat Kentucky, that gave a really good fight to Gonzaga, to go into their house and put up a really good fight and have a chance to win this game with the last possession, that's a huge positive. And I think the metrics will show that too. I believe that they moved up in Kempon after this loss. Villanova probably won't be ranked coming into this week. We're actually recording this on Sunday night. So those AP polls will drop before we get the chance to see them. But I don't think, I, I agree. I don't think you're going out on a huge limb by saying that you felt pretty good, even though it was a loss. Hey, Temple beat Rutgers as well uh, over the yeah, weekend. No, so Temple looking a little stronger too, and will be yeah, interesting. They I play the Johnnies on uh, on Monday night. People will know what happened in that game by the time they listen to it. But uh, that that game is going to look, I think, a little bit better um, throughout the season. But a- as you said, building blocks moving forward here, and uh, excited to talk about it. So all that being said, I think we should start with the negatives, and the negatives were about the first twenty five minutes of this game, <laughs> if if not thirty. <laughs> So the first half was definitely a little bit brutal to watch. And 
you can back me up, Pat, here. I was completely unplugged on Friday night. So I had no idea what was happening. I was asking Pat for updates. But at the end of the night, I said, okay, two-point loss. Looking at the box, seeing some of these guys' performances, I'm pretty excited to watch the, the replay. And Pat said, you probably won't feel that way for the first half, at least. It was ugly so. early. It, it certainly was. Man, I'm disappointed you started with the negatives when I just talked about how happy I was going away with these <laughs> games. But I, I got to bring you back to your dorm. <laughs> just exactly. Take me back down. But uh, as we look at Michigan State here, how how I would frame it is watching the Michigan, Michigan State offense in the first half was like watching a ghost. And why do I say that? Because it was Villanova of past year. It was drive and kick, and they did so at a phenomenal clip, and it was very impressive to see. They used their guards and their Hogards and their walkers to really, you know, get in the lane and try and find shooters, whether it was one of the other guards uh, going around the uh, going around the three-point line or if it was Joey Hauser. They shot eight for 13 in the first half from deep. That was more made threes than Michigan State had against Kentucky and against Gonzaga. So uh, they came out firing there. And as a whole, too, they shot 52% from deep in this game. Going into this game, the first three for the Spartans, they had shot 37, 19, and 33%. So they were way over their season average from deep. I think Villanova wanted to give up the three-point shots, which we can talk a little bit more about here. But credit to Michigan State because they made them pay. Yeah, I mean, that had me trying to throw my TV out the window, how how willing they were to let Michigan State beat them from beyond the three-point arc. But at some point, you have to give credit where it's due. You're not going to play a team that shoots 52% from the three-point line very often. That mm-hmm. They were just firing on all cylinders. They might never have a shooting performance like that again for the rest of the season, and they could hold themselves to that. But generally... One of my biggest takeaways from the first half, it was also on Michigan State side, just how balanced this team was. And we talked about For it in a sure. preview. They're old and they can beat you in so many different ways. It's not like they started off super fast, but when they started going into that run at the beginning, or excuse me, at the end of the first half, it was because they started to play in transition. And that was when they burned Villanova, when they picked up the pace and Villanova couldn't keep up defensively. Yeah, they, they can certainly move it with Walker, Hogard, and Aikens um, as, as guards coming off the bench there. And, you know, you, you talk about it and saying, you know, wanted to throw your TV out the window there with some of the game plan. The game plan was very clearly to let A.J. Hogard shoot from deep. Uh, that was, if you'll remember, Brandon Slater just basically didn't even guard him oh uh, at the three-point yeah. line, and, and he drilled a couple of them, and I, and I saw the reaction on Twitter. People were upset. But – AJ Hogard entered this game shooting a whopping 0% from three and finished at, at three for six uh, in this game. I have no issue with what Neptune came into on the defensive side, sagging off of him because Hogard does most of his damage driving and kicking, which is something where he still did damage from, but it, they allowed him to play into that three point shot and it usually doesn't fall. And it did on Friday night. And when that happens, I think you just put your hand up and say hats off there. I, I would rather take away the Hogard drive and let him shoot threes because he has shown over his career. It's usually not something that's sustainable. Fair enough. And I get it. And I certainly don't think you should be criticizing Slater's defensive performance because Hogard was shooting those threes because if it wasn't obvious watching the tape, he was letting him take it. Oh, the for issue sure. for me, and and you made this distinction, and if I, I'm wondering if it was intentional, you said 
the game plan that Neptune came into this game having. Mm -hmm. My issue is why why aren't you making the adjustment? He can make one shot, but then he made two. And then he's making three. And then you're actually giving him more of a lane to now be a threat from both. So I wish there had been more of adjustment, more of an adjustment, and generally for all of Michigan State's three-point shooters when he saw how hot they were from beyond the arc. I And I totally get that. I would just, I'm comfortable playing the percentages and saying he's going to regress to the mean. I'd rather him yeah. take those shots rather than being able to find a, a hall or a Suzuko underneath a little mm-hmm. easier. He just, he made Villanova pay and that can happen on any given night. So uh, I know it was a, a bit of a talking point. I'm okay with it. Uh, I, I really am. And I get where they were coming from. I know it didn't turn out the way that Neptune would have schemed up, but I, I think it's something you can live with. Yeah. And you and I both agreed also on the preview that we were looking for a lot more out of the offense in mm-hmm. this game, as opposed to the defense. Interestingly, I came away with a lot of points about the defense, <laughs> but I'll I'll keep it offensively a little bit too, because that decision to let Hogard shoot doesn't look as bad if the offense made half of its shots in, at the beginning of the first half. Yeah, man. I mean, one of my one of my biggest points from the end of this game because they made it so close and they had a chance to win it on the last possession. If Villanova just starts that way, the way they looked at the end of the second half, if they can have that energy to start, think about how different this team would look. Caleb just cannot get it going at the beginning of games aside from LaSalle he has really struggled and I think it goes to the larger offense as well it looked stagnant again to start because they're just catching and shooting the ball they had mismatches that they could have exploited and you saw Slater doing that more with Hauser down the stretch but at the beginning it was standing along the perimeter making three to four passes and either shooting it to Dixon down low where thank god he made the majority of the shots he took or Caleb putting up a contested shot, and none mm-hmm. of them were going in. Well, you've led into uh, one of my points perfectly here, so I appreciate it. Uh, it, it was not a hot start from Villanova uh, at the start of this game, something that we had asked for on our preview to see things pick up, but they did score 11 in the first 10 minutes, which while that will certainly not blow your socks off, it <laughs> is still more than the 7 and 8 they had uh, been able to occur over the last couple games. The big difference here was that defensively, they also only gave up 11 yeah. points to the first 10 minutes when in the last two games, they gave up 18 and 15. So while Villanova is still starting slow, they at least were able to also have Michigan state not hit on all cylinders and really dig a hole early, at least for Villanova to try to dig out of that certainly happened about midway through the second half. And the cats found a way to dig out of it, but we had started to see a little bit of a trend develop where they were falling behind early second part here. And it, it goes again, a little bit into what you were talking about. First half, second half. Villanova scored 47 points in the second half. Yeah. Interesting trend starting to develop here where Villanova has scored more points in the second half than the first half of every game they have played in thus far. And especially in this game on Friday night, it was, it was not even close. They almost doubled it. I believe it was 24 points in the first half and 47 in the second half. So it's just been ugly starts for the cats so far. However, it seems like they go into halftime Very similar to how we saw things with Jay, by the way, if we're looking for parallels where Jay would whip them in the locker room at (laughs) halftime, they'd come out firing and and things have been better in the second halves. It hasn't been beautiful in a lot of the second halves here, but things were much, much improved here uh, in East Lansing, at least uh, 
for the second period. Oh, it looked like an entirely different team. And it's so, that's what I want to harp on, the, the point about Jay Wright whipping these guys into shape because I it's not like the team identity was different in the second half. It's not like the game plan was different. It was just that Daniel's shots finally started to go in. Some of them. And <laughs> some of them, yeah. Let's let's not blow that out of proportion. Slater finally started to drive, and those drives paid off. Longino made a big shot. Arch made a couple big shots. Brizzy had a nice layup. Like, I'm not sure, and that's what worries me a little bit. I'm not sure that they completely tore it all down and tried to restructure the offense in the second half. It almost seems like they're waiting for the cold streak to be done. And I'm not sure how sustainable that is because at that point they had dug themselves too deep and it was Mm -hmm. too much of a hole to get out of against Michigan state. And maybe the environment plays into that because, Oh my God, it had been a while since I saw a fan section like that. They were up and yelling for the entire game. It was awesome. Yeah. It's how, it's how it should be. Uh, One thing that we did kind of call for going into this game that we wanted to see more of, and we did was Brandon Slater. Um, and and getting involved in that offense Uh, nine field goal attempts for him on Friday night that's more than the last two games combined Uh, he had a season high 16 points and most impressively with slate so far this season he is 22 for 22 from the free throw line there's just the the progression year over year over year over year has been (laughs) incredible uh, for Slater I saw a lot more aggressiveness and assertiveness from Brandon on Friday night. Uh, it started basically right away where he had a trick, a quick trigger three um, for Nova. Uh, he hit a couple of them, which I think is really important to be able to keep defenses honest. And he got to the basket. And yes, he still has a little bit of what, what Eric Dixon as well, where it's mostly left and you know where he's going. But Slater is such a freakish athlete and is so strong that he's able to really push his way there regardless and get to the rim and he showed off some of that athleticism with a dunk he gets in the lane we know he can finish around the basket that's what I want to see from Brandon Slater he has to be able to attempt those threes and make some of those threes to keep the defense honest but he also has to have his fingerprints over games on the Mm -hmm. offensive side which is something he hasn't been too involved in through the start of the season I saw progression there uh, on Friday night and that's what I want to see more of here in this graduate student version of Brandon Slater yeah, IQ has never been the issue. It's just no. whether he is ready to take over the game. And you're right that there were definitely flashes of that. I think something that I didn't realize was as big of a thing until that Michigan State game was I thought Hauser going into the game would match up against Slater pretty well. Slater was able to pretty much mow him down every mm-hmm. time that he wanted to. So I hope that that becomes maybe this was the confidence game for Slater. He He went up against a really good opponent in Joey Hauser and won that matchup offensively. So hopefully that can go into other games. But on the flip side, I also think the offense started to look much better when other guys besides Daniels and Dixon were touching the ball and making shots. So as much as it is about Slater stepping up, you also have to get the other guys involved because they become too predictable when it's either dropping it down to Dixon who goes left or Slater driving to his left and laying it up. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you talk about him and you mentioned it a little bit and I, I think we have to like come out even stronger for it. Um, Caleb Janos was terrible on Friday yeah. night and I, I've talked about it before. I, I'm a believer in Caleb. He is so vital to this team right now, pre more and, and Whitmore, especially when it comes to really shouldering the burden of scoring 
but four for 14, one from eight from deep. And it felt like in a lot of situations, he was forcing things to try and get himself going and just nothing uh, was hitting. We saw Tulane Caleb, as we like to refer to him uh, against LaSalle, but really have barely seen any remnants of that since uh, five of 19 from the field, two for 12 from three over the last two games. And it's two made threes now in the last three games from Caleb Daniels Villanova to succeed, especially as we move into a big week here with the, the PK invitational, they need Caleb Daniels to be a lot more efficient and to be a lot more dangerous on the offensive side. I would like to see him kind of go back to basics a little bit here mm. and use that physicality and, and get to the rim. Uh, we, you know, we joke about it at times with how he is uh, defensively with fouls that he still thinks he's a football player and likes to uh, bowl through people. Um, and it can be a problem with, with charges as well, but I want to see him use that aggression and that physicality and get to the rim. I want to see him try and back down some of the guards because while Villanova doesn't have a ton of guards as the, as we've seen in previous years that can back down their defenders and try and make a play in the post. Caleb Daniels certainly is one of those guys that can do, it, and we really haven't seen it from him. So if those threes aren't falling and they most certainly have not been falling lately, he's still so key to what Villanova does on offense. I need to see some things change a little bit so that he can, um, you know, become a bigger part of what they're doing right now. Yeah. They still 100% live and die by him to get to his credit. His statistics definitely didn't change his mindset about taking shots. That's for sure. He was still throwing up shots, but what scared me a little bit or what was unfortunate about the entire situation is that they played him mostly off ball for the entire game and his shooting didn't look any better. So that was something I noticed right away. They had Mm -hmm. Mongino bringing the ball up. They certainly had Caleb looking for guys trying to cut, but Arch and Longino and then the Brizzy Armstrong duo were carrying most of the facilitating responsibilities so that Caleb could get going. Yep. And he still struggled to do that. So you hope I still that think that's just, the right call, by the way. Yeah, you hope that it's just ball. reps. And I agree that that, sh- that should still definitely be the mindset. Because, again, what you just said, even if the threes aren't falling for him, he still has other strengths driving to the hoop. And he can't do that if he's facilitating the offense from the point. Without a doubt. And you, you, talk, you touch on the guards and some of the ball handlers there. I know we're hard on him and have been hard on him many times. But I think Chris Archdiakono deserves some credit. Um, Pat, but, yep. This was it. his. This was his best game since the Providence game after Colin Gillespie got hurt. I was impressed with what I saw from Chris Archdiakono, especially um, in the the second half. He had a team leading four assists, which is double the amount he had had all season going into this game. He had a huge back down. We talk about backing down uh, his guys mm-hmm. in the post. He had a huge back down and, and kicked out for a Dixon three. He drilled a three. He took charges. I thought he played solid defense. That was a complete phantom call that was called on him with the Tyson Walker on the final session. Ridiculous. I refuse yeah. to believe that that was still called where Walker's falling down and got the bailout call. It's a nice friendly home whistle there uh, for Michigan State, but as I said, we can be hard on Chris Archdiakono. There are deficiencies. We know that there's a limited ceiling here, but when he plays well, and I think he did on Friday night in a tough environment, he certainly deserves his props, and I want to make sure he gets it. Yeah, I feel the same exact way. I, I was really impressed watching him down the stretch. The only thing was that he shouldn't have been on the floor for the last possession. Probably not, because you need another yeah. shooter out there. Yeah. So, But I- no, I, I actually felt the same way. There were times when he 
made clutch stops on defense. Absolutely clutch stops on defense, and that was huge. I'm, I'm really happy for him. I, I was proud of him because I, yeah. we know he's gotten a lot of criticism his way, and I think deservedly so in a lot of places, but that this was a very solid performance from him. Um, yeah. But as we talk about solid performances, I feel like we just have to hit the guy, right? It's been too long. I know. We saved it. We saved it. Say what you texted me about Dixon. This was potentially the best I've ever seen Eric Dixon play as a villain of a wildcat. And and I I certainly think so. Going into this, he tied a career high with 24 points. He had nine rebounds, three assists, only one turnover, which is really important as well. Drilled three threes. And this is very interesting. He shot 86% from two which I Mm -hmm. think is really key because there have been some games this year where, yeah, Eric has scored, but he's missed a decent amount of shots around the rim. Yeah, that was just not not the case um, on on Friday night, and I was incredibly impressed. That was the reason why Villanova lost against Temple, and it was so close against Delaware State because they weren't good at the two. Mm. They weren't good at hitting twos, and Eric Dixon took that upon himself. He must have taken it pretty personally (laughs) because he was was so impressive and – the fact that he can keep the defenses guessing by having the three is so mind-blowing. And then it's mm-hmm. such a good shot. And then also, just as impressively, Suzoko wasn't great in this game. So I think it's easy to dismiss that as just no. maybe he's not that great of a player. The reason Suzoko was a complete non-entity is because Dixon was locked exactly. down. Exactly. Suzoko was scoreless until there were nine minutes left in the second half. Matty Suzoko lit Kentucky up on Tuesday and Eric Dixon locked him down. That is not something that should be overlooked whatsoever. So by the transitive property, does that mean that Eric Dixon is better than than Oscar Sheepway? Oh, 100% clearly, right? If Suzoko shut down Sheepway and Dixon shut down Suzoko, I think so. I so mean, we'll, we'll take any plaudits we, we can get for, as Alan Ray calls him, easy E. But I thought the footwork was impeccable um, from Dixon down in the low post. Four offensive rebounds were really key. And when I look at this, I think it's time to stop saying, you know, Matty Suzoko or Adama Sonogo is a big test for Eric Dixon. Yeah. It's the other way around for a mm-hmm. lot of these guys now where it's a big test for them facing Eric Dixon or it's just a great matchup of like a Ryan Kelp runner or, or an Adama Sonogo versus Eric Dixon. I'm not sure we have to keep testing Dixon at this point. He has proven himself to be one of the best bigs in the Big East. And again, I, I could not come away from this game more impressed. And as we talk about Dixon too, we know what he does. We know he can be a monster around the basket and using that left hand. It's the little plays that also show big progression. You know, it's it's some of it's his ability to to roll off the picks. It's when he has to figure out if it's going to be a roll or if it's going to be a pop to be around the three-point line. There was even one specific play where he had a bounce pass to a back-cutting Angelo Brizzy yeah. for a backdoor layup. He had a bat down and a kick out for a three from Brendan Housen. He's expanding his toolbox so much, which, listen, around the basket, we know he's going left. He's still going left. But if he can use some of that footwork, which is what he did on Friday night to at least get some different looks and go at some different angles from it, that's going to be able to make him a little more difficult to guard. And he's adding all these other ways that he can hurt teams like those very high IQ passes. Um, What a game for Eric Dixon. We're also at the point, Pat, where defenses know he's going to go left and can't stop him anyway. Mm -hmm. So he could do whatever he wants. He literally walked all over Suzoko. The pass to Brizzy also stuck out to me and just in general 
how many times do you see a big man like Dixon have three assists in a game? Yeah. His view of the court is just so fun to watch. He has his hands, his fingerprints over everything. And for a team that is trying to find its facilitator, we actually probably don't give Dixon enough credit for doing some of that on his own too. As much as they dish it down to him down low to finish, he also does a pretty decent job up top finding cutting guys because there was another play with Hausen against Delaware State where he did the same thing. Mm-hmm. So he is just so multifaceted. He can shoot the three. I absolutely love the way you said it. Now it's just great matchups. And now Dixon is going to be talked about as one of the best, best big men in the conference of very, very good yes. big men in the Big East. Hey, I mentioned it last week. I want Villanova to run more offense through the post yeah. with him and give him some options, whether it be a back cutter coming to the basket or a kick out for three. I think that's how Villanova can try and find some easier baskets here when they've had some struggles. Um, but I don't think we can go past Eric Dixon without saying the quote from Tom Izzo. Because yeah, you have to. Such a perfect yeah. quote. This is from Izzo after the game. Uh, quote, we actually did a decent job of them backing us down on the dribble, except for Dixon. I don't know if God could cover him at times. We didn't want to double because we didn't want to give up a three. So that was a little tough. You want to talk about praise. How about that type of praise from one of the more legendary coaches in college basketball? Wow. What a compliment. Yeah. I hope he is. I hope generally the team is riding relatively high after this, but Dixon, especially what a prove it game. He didn't even need to prove anything, but what a prove it game to the country. Maybe. He, he also called Villanova the most physical team that Michigan State is going to play um, all season long. Interesting. So, so I think that that's pretty interesting, um, you know, description from a coach that most certainly knows what he's doing there. Uh, we can transition then to the other coach there with, with Villanova and, of course, Kyle Neptune. I think we're still learning, you know, a, a little bit more about Neptune here. You know what I was very mm-hmm. interested in? As you said, Angela Brizzy handled the ball for a decent amount of the game and with three minutes left. Angelo Brizzy was handling the ball. So I think we are seeing a little bit more string on these younger players here. And I like that. I agree with you that I don't think Art should have been out there for, for the final possession and actually just to get a better shooter. Exactly. And I have some gripes with that final possession as well that I want to make sure we talk (laughs) about. Um, (laughs) But I like that Brizzy got some run and got some run when it mattered. I like that Mark Armstrong was out there, you know, a a Mm -hmm. decent amount. I don't Armstrong wasn't able to impact the game like he was on, on Monday night, but Think about how key experience that is as a freshman point guard to be out there handling the ball in East Lansing against Michigan State this early in the season. I think that will only pay dividends. So I, I do like those parts that we're seeing from Neptune. I feel the same way. Brendan Housen played five minutes. He did. I, I just I don't think we could have guessed any of this would have happened if we thought Neptune was following in Jay Wright's path. Yes. He has quickly and effectively, though they're two and two, I think effectively done a really good job with this rotation to set them up for future for future success because Brizzy and Armstrong and Hausen and even Trey Patterson and probably even Njoku off the bench are learning from the minutes they're getting and the opponents they're seeing at this point in the schedule so I think it's really important there were a few times where I felt like the hook could have been pulled on Brizzy on defense and same with Hausen too same with Hausen more so because there was no reliance on the zone in this game, which surprised me. Villanova played man-to-man. That's probably why Izzo thought they were so physical because they were way up on their defenders. They got beat a lot. The younger guys did. But generally, I, I like – that's the thing, though. I like seeing Brizzy on offense. I think he provides a really 
different look. He's not afraid of putting up a shot. He's not afraid of driving, which I mm-hmm. think is insanely impressive. It's just when he continues to get beat on defense that I have a little bit of an issue of keeping him in there. But who's the backup? That That's because the issue. Then Arch is going back in, and he also is prone to getting beat on defense. So it's, that's where the issue is. Tyson Walker, like, cooked well, yeah. Um, yeah. Brizzy on, on a couple of drive-bys, uh, which just it, it's also how good of a player Walker is. Um, mm-hmm. And to your point on the zone, Villanova did try and play a zone, but there's a reason you didn't see too much of it, and it's because Michigan State just shot them out of it immediately. And it's a sign of yeah. a good good coach which is honestly an insult to tom Izzo. it's a sign of a great coach there went straight to the high post every single time villanova went to his own which of course is the soft spot in a, in a two three and they facilitated their offense from there and were able to get some easy baskets with layups and find some shooters running around the three-point line too which just the zone here with a team as basketball iq intelligent as a michigan state mm-hmm. It wasn't going to work, and Izzo most yeah. certainly had them prepared for it, which I'm not surprised by because Villanova has gone to zone when they've needed it uh, a couple times here. Michigan State was very clearly prepared for that, though, going in. Yeah, that's a good point. The The only other thing with the younger guys in general, I actually I don't think you saw Armstrong doing any of this, but surprisingly, this is one of Villanova's fundamental strengths. I thought a lot of the guys bit on shot fakes from Michigan State. And we're not seeing enough shot fakes yet from Villanova with some of these younger guys on <laughs> Longino true. busted it out and, and it worked for, I would actually like to see it a little more for, from some of the other guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm too. talking defensively too, though. Like yeah. Brizzy, Brizzy bit on the shot fake. Longino bit on a shot fake. Help defense. I thought at times that actually made the shot easier for Michigan state. So there's definitely th- some things you can shore up. But the reason why Michigan State pulled away is because they were pushing the tempo. That's still Villanova's weakness on defense. But on the flip mm. side, I thought their man-to-man vastly improved, especially towards the end. It it did. And Villanova was very willing for help defense in this game. And yeah. it's because they wanted Michigan State to shoot threes. And as yeah. we kind of started this off with, yeah, Michigan State drilled them in this game. But I think we got to talk about the final possession here before we uh, we finish up. Um, yeah, wait, let me just say one more yeah, thing yeah. about defense. You also cannot talk about defense without talking about the full court press under one minute. That is hey, works, by too. far the best play that Villanova has had all season long. Forced turnover, Longino hits the three. Love the move to full court. I When I saw it at the time, I actually thought it was a little bit too soon because you don't want to foul. You don't want to put Michigan State on the line. What a move by Neptune. Oh, my God. You also saw all of the Villanova coaches, Neptune, Halkovich, Nardi, Anderson, huddled, game planning together. I thought that was a cool moment. And then for it to pay off the way it did, getting within one because of that full court defense. So awesome to see. So there's also been a decent amount of emotion shown from Neptune, um, especially yeah. in that game, which I think is very cool. We know Jay Wright very rarely showed uh, emotion on the sideline there. So I, I do think it's cool to see Neptune really get into these games. I think it's also part of being, you know, only a second year head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still I say going. keep it. I like yeah. it. I, I don't yeah. have an issue with it. And, and defensively, as you said, listen, I've been calling for it for, for a couple episodes. I want to see more of that soft press. I know this mm-hmm. you're referring to the full court press. But yeah. uh, I want to see more of the soft press where like a guy like a Slater or a Longino is kind of your your rover or your safety um, bringing traps and trying to get turnovers. I, I really think that will help Villanova try and find some ways to get some sort of transition buckets because it has been pretty non-existent so far this yeah. season. And that can help 
um, really supplement uh, this offense. Totally agree. So yeah, this last possession, frustrating because you're just not going to what kept you in this game in the first place was my opinion of it. I, I was frustrated on the entire way it was handled. So if you start it, they rebounded the ball with 17 seconds left. Yeah. The timeout did not come until there were seven seconds left. And if I'm not mistaken here, I've watched this replay like five times trying to really key in on the sideline. It's Chris Archdiakono calling that timeout. Neptune was going to let them run it. Um, but Chris went up to the referee and asked for time as a, maybe it came from the bench as well, but Kyle definitely he wasn't, wasn't on the bench side of the court though. He was on the other side of the court. He was on the other side of the court. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he went up to the ref over there, but I, I didn't see Kyle signaling for a T he very well may have mm. been saying it. And we just can't read his lips from the camera there, but Chris was the one who went out and did it. Then you get to the final play and it just, it never really flowed uh, with anything. It was just Daniels and Dixon around the three point line. Now I don't have an issue with Eric Dixon shooting a three, especially with how effective he was in this game. What does hurt was that while Caleb had the ball, Brandon Slater was standing open at the three-point line for a reverse <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, over to him. And I, I'm completely comfortable if Slater gets that shot. I just would have liked to see a more choreographed play for that final play with seven seconds left rather than kind of get the ball to Caleb and we'll we'll see what happens from there. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah you would have so- hoped that they would have had... I, I think they struggled to... Um split apart or carve up Michigan State's defense throughout the game yeah Yeah. so you know an open lane for a driving Slater isn't going to open up with seven seconds left in the game I get that but I also would have liked to see some guys being a little bit more open than they were and then actually finding them (laughs) yeah so I I do find that game management as certainly a negative coming out of the Michigan State game because I would have liked that to, to be a little cleaner than what we saw but I again, I think that goes into some of the growing pains of this team in transition, and and a coach still kind of learning his way. Yeah, and and I think last possession aside, that last five six minutes, they made a really good team look frazzled on both ends of the court. I mean, Michigan State, yeah, they couldn't get a stop, and then on the flip side, Villanova's defense made really key stops against really hot shooters. So if they can look like that team in the beginning of the game, we don't have any of the issues that we've talked about over Mm -hmm. the last few episodes. It's just getting hotter sooner and not forcing shots or settling for shots and just letting the game happen around them. I I agree. I'm trying to think if I have gone over all my points. I think I hit everything on my end. I think I have too. This was actually the first game where I've written down notes as opposed to typing notes. So I think it helped my memory. Wow, went back to the yeah. old fashioned way. Look at yeah, you. The, the notebook. <laughs> I love it. Oh, actually, I have one more question for you before we move on. And this will actually play into Iowa State a little bit, which does have some size. Nova was out rebounded and also out assisted, which the assists and the stagnant offenses, I think we've touched on that enough mm-hmm. and how it can improve. They were out-rebounded not significantly if you had just looked at the box score of this game. It was 31-26. You see that? Okay, whatever. Not a, not a huge deal. But I actually felt like it made a bigger difference when you were watching, and some of that was the offensive rebound and second, and part of it was second-chance points. But I did kind of leave this game feeling like, yes, they have Dixon, but generally Villanova plays kind of small, and that makes me a little bit worried when a team like Michigan State seemed to be rebounding all over them, at least when they were hot in the second half. Do you have anything on that? 
Slater is going to be a real key with that. The issue is they kind of need Slater out around the three-point line at the moment yeah. because they're not getting enough three-point support otherwise, so that they need him to be an option from deep. Otherwise, we know he's a very you know strong rebounding wing for for his size coming in at six seven six eight can can certainly cause some issues there i mean i won't say that i feel super concerned about it just yet but no there's not a ton of established you know bigger players but then again that changes so much when whitmore and more come in, it really alters how this lineup will look so i it's not something for me that i come away with too worried i'm more interested in kind of you know, how that offense flows and can they get into yeah. rhythm? Can they find easy shots? Things like that so far. Fair enough. And it really does all go back to balance too, because you hope that when those shooters come back, Slater can go back into that truly power forward role. Jermaine Samuels to, role. Yeah. Into being really a, a, a shooter and a guard at this point, despite his size. So Fair yeah, enough. I think that's, that is a good way to put it. Generally, I think like lasting impressions here and how this win has affected our expectations which is a no i know is one of the questions we got this week too i came away feeling good it stinks to lose it always does villanova we are very spoiled we are not used to losing pat you and i talk about that all the time but on the road against a ridiculously intense crowd this was a good way to lose and i think you come away with a lot more promising updates as opposed to eking out a win against delaware state yeah, and, and shout out to Matt Berger as well for giving us the question on how expectations shift uh, based on this game. I know asking for questions on a Sunday afternoon is very weird <laughs> for us, uh, but it's just how we had to do it this week with us recording on a Sunday night for one episode on Tuesday. Um, but as we talked about it, I'm with you. I This made me feel better than any of the other games so far this season. I'm still not going to go with, I feel, oh, this team is completely right at it and here no. we go yet there are certainly still some issues here but it makes me feel a lot better going into this invitational and then an oklahoma game right after that than how i felt uh just a couple days ago building blocks building that's blocks. the best way to put it exactly yeah so speaking of they certainly will not have any easy opponents coming up in this film night invitational i'm so excited to watch we're gonna do a little bit at the end with our whip around the big east of just all the good basketball games that are happening during face week, but Villanova, Iowa state in the first round of the Phil Knight invitational, I'm going to go through Iowa state's impressive resume. So far, yeah, Pat. please do. They have beaten Indiana university, Purdue university, Indianapolis. That is right. I U P U I 88 to 39 was the final. And they also beat North Carolina, AT&T. A and T A and T AT and T is a phone carrier. <laughs> A&T, 80 to 43. So Iowa State stats are looking pretty good if you check out ESPN. But we're going to get a different version against a much better Villanova team than those two teams that I just mentioned. So that's the funny part here is that you go into it and their, you know, their margin of victory is basically 40 uh, in both of those games. They only come in, though, as Ken Palm's 53rd yeah. ranked team. And I say only, by the way, 53rd ranked team in Ken Palm is a very, um, you know, solid squad. Uh, but it is because, I kid you not, they have the worst strength of schedule in the country. Um, the teams that they have played, as you just mentioned, 363rd, which ding, 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 that is the worst team in, in all of Division One in IUPUI, uh, 288th. And tonight with Milwaukee, as we record this, where they're a minute away from winning 
Uh, they are ranked 329th uh, as according oh, wow. to Ken Palm. What's the final so, on that one? Uh, they are up by, it's a lot different story than what we've seen so far. They're up by 15 with about a minute left, 66-51. Oh, wow. So uh, a right. bit of a different story there. But as you said, just it's so difficult to handicap a team like this for how they're playing going into a Villanova game because I can't say I learn anything right. from watching Iowa State do this so far it is actually so difficult right now highlights of their games are like trying to find bigfoot because they I came against find him. no i, I found a him. 90 not a 98 50 second video from like fox des moines yeah saw with that three that clips. kid was pretty good yeah. got a lot of energy going in that clip yeah exactly and like that's it so it was very tough to kind of do any sort of film study here it is more just rawly based on numbers i mean and you look at it they're number one in defensive turnover percentage they're number three and three point allowed percentage at, at just 18 percent. you say wow this team is you know one of the best def- defensive teams in the country but i just i can't tell you that going into thursday because the quality of, of opposition has just been so low yeah, it's almost like cleaning the slate, and this is actually going to be the first version of Iowa State we've seen all year. And it it's doesn't so mean they're not good, predictions. by the way. No, definitely not. They're, they've scored a ton of points. You know that they can compete offensively. The only thing that actually I have taken away, and it's a negative for them, is that they are not a great three-point shooting team. They mm. have not put up good three-point numbers against the low-quality opponents that you just mentioned. Yeah, the, the, the thing that I focused on in this mini-preview that we'll do is just their personnel and how different it is compared to to last year. I am again going to ask my chemistry question to you in a little bit Hmm. because we just, we can't predict what this Iowa state team will look like because Villanova is so radically different from IUPUI North Carolina ATT. Yeah. So some key things here, first off, it's TJ Oltzelberger year two, which it's still, I know we talked about on our season preview, but it's worth noting that a run to the sweet 16 last year, after a two and 22 record with the program, the Best prior year college basketball history. Exactly. And no, he was not the coach for that two and 22 record, but it just shows you the state of the program. When he came in here, obviously now a three and O start for them as well. Uh, their two top guys in terms of usage are transfers from St. Bonaventure and Jaron Holmes and Osuno Suni. Uh, Holmes averaged in double figures all three years in the A-10, and so far this season over 18 points a game and almost two steals, kind of showing some of the defensive acumen that he has. Osuni, two-time A-10 Defensive Player of the Year. Freakishly, he averaged three blocks per game over the last <laughs> two years, so this is a guy that really controls the paint and had 16 points against NC uh, A&T. So, uh, as you said, it's a little bit of a mishmash in part of transfers. However, Holmes and Osuni had played together at St. Bonaventure, so they certainly know each other, even though it's a different program here. And they are talented players that will certainly cause some issues for the Cats. Yeah, I feel this. I feel the same way. I think you nailed it on the head. They still have, at least the Osunini and, and Holmes have that chemistry from the Bonnies. They lost four of their five starters from the Sweet 16 mm-hmm. game last year. But they are still an old, experienced team because Iowa State is the king of the transfer portal. So I still expect them to be a really, really tough opponent. They might have some growing pains just as they play their first true opponent of the season. But I still think if Villanova can win this game too, this would be a nice win come Selection Sunday against a a team in a good conference that's going to play some good teams down the stretch. Yeah, certainly. And they have some athleticism to go to it as well. I'm going to butcher the name, but Alaz Kunk, 
um, from Slovenia. I was wondering how to pronounce his first name, Slovenian. I probably got that wrong, but as you said, from Slovenia and a Washington state transfer uh, as well, really well-rounded wing um, that can hurt you from deep. Uh, he's got a pretty good clip from there and also a, a very strong rebounder. As you mentioned, some of the rebounding issues that, uh, that Villanova's had so far this season and Gabe Kalsher is that only remaining starter from a year ago. He's in year five now in the big mm-hmm. 10, had some experience with Minnesota before transferring over to Iowa state here. So Iowa State's an older team. While they haven't all played together for years upon years, they've all been in, in college basketball for a couple of years here. So don't expect a team to be flustered and playing in, you know, a big deal tournament like the PK Invitational against an opponent like Villanova. I as even though they haven't had any real dress rehearsals going into this game, I still expect to see them come out pretty strong. Yeah. So you had Nova losing to Iowa State preseason. Mm-hmm. Has your expectation shifted? No, I still expect them to lose that game. Um, okay. I, I, I would, I don't want to shift um that quickly forward. Though I feel better about this team. I think Villanova can win, especially with what we saw on Friday night. But I think the Cyclones here are going to cause some issues on defense and, and really make things uncomfortable. And with some of Villanova's younger guards, and this is going to be a big game for Chris Archdiakono. He has to protect yeah. the ball and he has to find ways to distribute here because they, they're going to, there's going to be some pressure uh, on the ball. Yeah, I definitely think Iowa State will be more so in the 60 to 70 point range as opposed to the 80 to 90 point range, which can, which can certainly scare someone when they're looking through their statistics. But I feel the same way. And to to christen this new saying that we're going to have about Eric Dixon will just be so fun to see him versus Asuni. Asunini, yes. Asuni, and Asuni. Post. Asuni. Those two guys are going to go at it. And I want to see if Dixon steps out and, and shoots a lot more threes and tries yeah. to take a Sunni away from, from being underneath the, the basket because that's where he is so dangerous, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I want to see Dixon continue to shoot threes because I think Villanova really needs his ability yeah. to shoot threes <laughs> to help keep yeah. teams uh, honest and keep that attack balanced there. So I want to see more of that. And my other thing that I, I, I want to see going into this game is I do – hope that Villanova ratchets up some pressure as well to try and force some more turnovers to find those baskets that we were just talking about. Mikhail Bridges D like that. I also think Nova drops it, but it's a close one. And my biggest, what I'm most excited about is just them getting a hotter start. Caleb's got to look better offensively to start. They've got to find better looks. And I hope it's a dogfight because I think riding the momentum, which is something I believe in momentum's a big deal riding the momentum of a tough road game, now going into a tough neutral site tournament with potentially UNC on the other side. Mm. This could be a big a big test for Nova. Did we really both have to pick Iowa State, though? Like, it's a Thanksgiving game. We want Nova Nation to be happy on that day. I know. I'm sorry. I, we hope that we're happy on that day. I just think we're trying to give it <laughs> to you how chance. we expect the game. I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely think Dixon, I think Dixon could take over this game again. I mean, again, if you think – Two free throws were missed, and Villanova could have won the Michigan State game. So I have much more confidence in this team. I understand you not wanting to shift, but you probably would have felt even worse if if Villanova had played poorly against Michigan State. So the the roller coaster that we've been on since Temple has certainly been dizzying. But Villanova can win this game. They certainly can. I agree. I agree. No, I, I'm I'm actually going to be interested in the spread in this game. I think there's a chance Villanova's a favorite um, in, in, really? in it as well. Mm. I do. But yeah. we shall see. Okay, then want to touch quickly on the two potential 
opponents for a Friday game, whether that be in a semifinal or in a consolation match? Yes. Let's do it. We'll start with Portland because we can just go very quickly there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was Port- going to say, even consolation, you're giving Portland too much credit. Uh, I know. But Portland boasts wins so far this season over Lewis and Clark, which I love that that's a university name. Um, Florida mm-hmm. A&M, Portland State, and Air Force. Uh, basically, what to know about them, they shoot a lot of threes, uh, and it's led by Moses Wood. And that's about as far as my opposition research has gone into this one. Yeah, I love it. That's more than I had. So I can take <laughs> us into UNC if that's good with you. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so North Carolina 4-0, the presumed favorite along with Kentucky and Gonzaga going into this year following their Houston's magical... Houston's the best team in the country. Right, thank you, Pat. Keeps, I will magical run with Hubert Davis. He really just ruined it for the rest of the first-year coaches, in my yeah. opinion, last year. 4-0, but the wins have come over... UNC Wilmington, Charleston, Gardner-Webb, and James Madison. And I don't think any of those wins have instilled the type of confidence that you would think they would. It's They're honestly shocking, points, too. But the defense has not looked good at all for a team that... They, I mean, this is run it back to the Exactly. Team. And they do not look like a dominant team this year. And that's why it's so shocking that they have struggled, you know, in, in a lot of their games and have had to, you know, rely on putting teams away late rather than just running away with games as i think many people would would expect when they look at this unc team on paper as you said it really is running back this is not a transition this is not them trying to figure out how minutes are going to get filled like a lot of the teams around the country like a villanova is right now i mean armando baycott's back rj davis is back caleb love is back leaky black is back with the best on nil commercial i have seen so far from a plumbing uh company talking using leaky to talk about oh my stopping god that's leaks. amazing incredible that is what nil is for and i hope to only see much more of that in the future uh, they did bring in Pete Nance as well as a grad transfer from Northwestern to kind of help support Baycott as well as mitigate the loss of Brady Manick, who of course was a just phenomenal player um, for the Tar yeah. Heels from a year ago. This is a very, very offensively talented team. They score, as you said, they score a lot of points, but it just, it hasn't all worked so far this mm-hmm. season. It's national championship or bust. And I think this is, it why is for them it's so hard to repeat because it just all doesn't go to plan the way you think it would. I mean, they literally lost Manic and then replaced him with the carbon copy of him in Pete Nance, who still shoots 38% from three. They have all the pieces they need with teams in transition around them in the ACC. I think it's generally going to be another relatively down year for the ACC and they still can't dominate in their non-conference schedule the way they hope. So that's what makes college basketball fun. I also do not – I mean, this isn't undermining them at all. They are still going to give a lot of teams headaches, and I would be nervous to play them, <laughs> to say the least. And by the way, the last time these two teams met was at a certain game in Houston. I don't remember. Can you refresh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Chris Jenkins had a shot in that game. That sounds semi-familiar. <laughs> they but... should be scared to play us. You're right. <laughs> so, I mean, the hope is that we get that rematch on Friday, Black Friday. Yeah. I think that would be great. You got a USA-England World Cup game and a Villanova-UNC Ooh. semifinal for the PK Invitational. Nova Nation, we can cross our fingers for that one because that's yeah. what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and getting through Iowa State, I think, would be a huge plus, a huge, huge win. That would be so. a big win for this program and yeah. for Kyle as well, because Iowa State will be a, a decent scalp um, come the end of the season. They should be an NCAA tournament team. I agree. 
I agree. But I know you wanted to talk a little bit about just this whole week and what we can expect because there's so many good tournaments going on. Yeah, I mean, and you look at the other side of the bracket of this tournament too. You got UConn, another Big East team playing Oregon and Michigan State, who I'm now terrified of uh, and impressed (laughs) of uh, on the bottom side playing against Alabama. So our tournament is fantastic. There are many going on throughout all of college basketball. As we record this, Kentucky Gonzaga are playing right now on Sunday night. But if we look specifically at the Big East, Creighton is in the Maui Jim Maui Invitational, facing off with Texas Tech uh, in their first matchup. Marquette is in Fort Myers. It's not a tournament, but St. John's plays Temple at the Barclays Center. Butler, this one surprised me the most, but Butler is in Atlantis, and they face off against Tennessee uh, later this week. Xavier's in the Phil Knight Legacy, uh, also later this week out in Oregon. Uh, And they play Florida. Seton Hall plays Memphis and Kissimmee, which is a fun tournament. And just randomly, I believe it's next weekend. It's not a tournament, but DePaul hosts Texas A&M in a non-conference game. And A&M is ranked. So, so many awesome matchups and tournaments across the Big East um, this week. It's it's feast week. I mean, it's going to be great. I'm I'm pumped. I think it's huge for Big East. Just just let the tournament or let the conference go out and just dominate a little bit because you've got some teams at the top that can do that. I hope they dominate. And I think the teams, the teams at the bottom can be some dogs, in my opinion. I mean, I think the the St. John's and even the Butlers, the Butler, Butler's playing like they have a chip on their shoulder. Butler's tough. So Tad Mod is going to do yeah. a nice job there. I'm excited. It's going to be such a good week. And I actually disrespected the ACC pretty hard because UVA had a huge win over Illinois today. Yes. No, for, for sure. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Georgetown plays American and UMBC this week. So they're, uh, they are not a part of the marquee matchups. 10 out of the 11. They did beat LaSalle though, after dropping yeah. to LMU, which, oh boy, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a long give and take. Yeah. Give and uh, take. Tough, sorry. tough weekend for Providence too, Pat. Surprised you didn't bring that up yet. I, I actually wasn't going to out of respect for you, but trust me, I know exactly what happened and I'm smiling. So yeah, my mom was there. Brutal game. Oh, that's brutal tough. game. Yeah. But yeah, they did. They lost to St. Louis for, for those that are, uh, are not sure. Too. but yeah. yes, yes, yes. But yeah. it's a big week for the conference Providence. Also, by the way, another team that's not really involved or not really involved, not involved um, with uh, a lot of these tournaments here. But as you could tell from the laundry list, I just went through most teams in this conference yeah. are this week which means it should be just a phenomenal basketball viewing experience. Trace Jackson Davis also against Xavier. Whew. It's going to be some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So excited. Villanova on Thanksgiving is always a good thing too. I'm pumped for that. Hopefully they go as far as they can. And Pat and I confirmed before we started, they will confirm to play three games. It's just all about seeding in this tournament and whether they're playing in consolation bracket or the winner's bracket. Exactly. But three games in four days still for, for Thanksgiving weekends can yeah. be a lot of fun. Um, and it's also a test for this team mm-hmm. to uh, to really see, you know, how do, how do the bodies hold up? What happens there when you go into a game two on Friday after just playing the previous day? Now you've got one day of rest before a Sunday game. Uh, I think these tournaments can tell you, you know, a little bit about where a team is at the, the start of the season, just with the physical demands of them um, so early yeah. on. So. I'm pumped. It's a big opportunity for Villanova coming into this week. Iowa State's a good opponent. They have a chance to play a very good opponent on Friday if things go well on Thursday. And of course, if things go phenomenally well, they could be playing in a title game uh, on Sunday, which uh, I mean, 
do you ever really want to bet against Villanova in these November tournaments? No. Things usually go not. pretty well for the Cats. Yeah. So we'll see if that changes here or stays the same with Kyle Neptune now at the helm. Yeah. Perfectly said. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter, both us and the podcast, so that you can keep up with us because this is our only episode this week with Thanksgiving. And then we will be back at it a week from when this episode drops next Tuesday to recap everything. Hopefully the three games that Villanova played over the weekend. Yeah, so that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for so many articles this week through all the different games that the Cats will play. Follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. Nova Nation, I hope everyone has a phenomenal feast week. I hope everyone has a healthy and happy Thanksgiving where they're able to be with friends and family. We have plenty of great basketball coming this week and could not be more excited to share that with all of you. So we will talk to you next Tuesday. Have a phenomenal holiday and Nova Nation.